Welcome to another episode of Retrovaniacs, the only podcast about retro games that you'll find on the Retrovaniacs feed. I'm one of your hosts, Jeremy Parmentier, and here are your other hosts, Jeremy Gregory. Hello. And Billy Holiday. Hello there. And this week's episode will be about the Sega Genesis classic, Toe Jam and Earl. But as always, before we get started with the game, just a little bit of a... An update on what we're all playing individually. Uh, I'll start this week because I'm already talking. I've been playing Persona 4. I'm at the very end of Persona 4 uh, for the Vita. And I don't know if you guys have finished Persona 4, but there's a certain point where you think the game ends uh, based on entirely a set of conversations you have in-game. Like, it's one scene, and depending on the answers you pick, and it doesn't seem extremely clear which ones are right, only one will take you to the rest of the game, and the other options out of these ten different menu options during your conversation will will just end the game kind of immediately. And, and you can tell it's not really the end, but you can't really tell why it's not the end. Like, I couldn't figure out easily what the thing was I was supposed to do to continue the game, so I had to look it up. And I felt kind of bad that I had to look it up, and I couldn't figure it out on my own. But I also didn't want to watch the end sequence of this game that you can't really skip, you know, 45 times while I switched uh, different options on this conversation. If I even really assumed it was a conversation that was the problem, because nothing really flagged it, but it was the only thing that kind of had, you know, opposite choices that I could take. Uh, is anyone play a game that has something similar to that, where it's, it doesn't make any sense why the game doesn't continue? Uh, I I have played them before, and I can't quite I can't quite remember exactly what game it was, uh, but I'm never a fan of that. Uh, as far as like when it just gives you this random option at the end of the game, and you're not quite sure uh, which one you should really select. I actually uh, Grand Theft Auto uh, Five kind of did that at the end of the game, and uh, I I chose an answer that did not actually continue the game. The way I wanted it to. And I found out after the fact that I needed to pick this other thing, which would actually take you on to the real end game. So that shit's that's that's so bullshit. I, I can't stand when games do that. Yeah, I've had uh it's actually my example was gonna be uh Grand Theft Auto Five. You're presented uh kind of three options at the end and you you assume how one of them is gonna go, uh and it's actually the the good one that you want to pick but it's not you know presented as that you think there's going to be dire consequences with that one and unfortunately with that game if you don't have a uh, a previous save you're you're kind of stuck in a, a massive game like that you don't want to you know pick up and play all the way through again to see you know the the other endings or whatnot um i'm not a fan of that Mechanic. I'm not even really sure what they're they're aiming for, kind of with that, with the ambiguous ending or a a bad ending. I'm not a fan of bad endings in games, especially when the only way to get the good one is to start completely over. I think it's a, a very frustrating thing. I don't mind it when it's a shorter game, like uh, yeah, Maniac yeah. Mansion. You know, you can have a million different endings because you can really play through that game in an hour and a half once you know what you're doing. Or um, one of the more recent ones that had a because the weird thing with this break is it wasn't at the very end where the the choice happened. Like you know, uh, Mass Effect Three, the the choice you have to make as far as the ending is at the very end of the game. So 
while it certainly is a good and a bad ending, and I guess arguably good, but either way, a good or a bad ending, but it doesn't change what you'll do, what you'll actually get to see other than the end itself. This this happens kind of like at the 80% mark, and there's still a huge chunk of game to go because it's a role-playing game. You know, I've put on probably 20 hours since that choice um, of extra things where, you know, a game... Again, like Maniac Mansion, you can blow through, or, or the one that has a midpoint that I was thinking of is some of the Castlevanias where you have to find an item to go to a, an upside-down castle or an inverse world or something, and, and it ends if you don't find that item. But again, that's a game you can you can blow through in, in three or four hours to get to that point, and it's all action, so I don't mind doing it over and over again. But this is like, uh, this is killing me that I'd, if I if I didn't know what to do there and I thought it was something I did wrong earlier and didn't have a save, I'd have to play through you know 65 hours again to get to where I was. Ah, it's just was, a weird choice. Was it a question? I mean, after the fact, did, did the answer that you had to do to make it move on, did that make sense at, at all? I mean, were you just like, oh, you know, I, that, I, if I knew that, then I, I could have just picked that. I mean, it made sense, but it, it, it was like I thought I made that choice originally, but it's just in how they worded the, the decisions that some of them were not, you know, black and white. I mean, clearly some of them are bad. I mean, I don't want to spoil anything, but but at the end... If it was, it was like if you you were seeing someone um, trying to rob somebody, and then your options were I'll stop the robbery or I'll look in the other direction. I mean, it's kind of like that, where it's very clear cut and dry. Instead, this was like stop the robber, attack the robber, push the robber, and it's like, well, what am I supposed to do? And I picked the one that I thought made sense, and it and it just didn't end, or it did end, and it didn't continue in the right way. I mean, at least it was very clear that that was not really the ending, but it still was long like an ending. I mean, it was probably a good ten minutes after that choice to see the rest of the game and you couldn't skip the credits and it was just it was very very long very very long to find out that it's not really the end huh but that's uh, that's great the only other game i can remember that sort of did that was uh symphony of the, symphony of the night and i had bought the japanese version of that game and sort of it, most of it is in japanese all the items are in japanese if you get that game uh, imported and it's just it, i made it all the way through and I beat the last, well, the, the last boss in the regular castle. I went a full two years before I even realized there was an upside-down castle because you have to use a very specific item on that last boss before it will actually let you go to the next part of the game. And, and that's at least a case where it's a, a translation issue that you didn't know what to look for. In the English version of that game, they made it pretty clear if you played through part, you know, most of the game, what you were supposed to do to really get to that end. But That's I true. can see if you didn't, if you couldn't read the language, how you'd be totally lost. This, on the other hand, was entirely in English, and it seemed, you know, pretty, pretty vague on how to complete it. But um, you know, I'm still enjoying it. I'm still almost done. I'm sure by the next podcast, I'll have finished it. Um, but, but what a weird choice! <laughs> yeah, that, I, I haven't got that far yet. I, I got right up to the point. I think right before that, the dungeon before that happens. And I haven't touched it. Like, I keep meaning to go back to it, but I just never do. Well, what else have you been playing, Jeremy? I'm still working my way through uh, Arkham Knight. Uh, I think I'm around 70% done so far. Uh, really, we've just been doing the side missions. Uh, a lot of those in, in the game. There's just so many of them. But I enjoy doing them uh, because the world itself... Uh, I know I've been talking about these giant open worlds just being so tedious. Uh, I really like getting around Arkham Knight's world because it's not huge like it, it's big but you can go from one end to the other in just a couple of minutes like it doesn't take any time so i really enjoy just kind of going around doing those side missions and and uh really putting off the the main storyline until i get those done but uh, i i imagine i will finish that up uh next week so you won't have to hear me talk about batman arkham knight anymore and billy 
I guess I'm probably just going to copy all of uh, Jeremy's answers for these questions. I've also been playing Arkham Knight. I uh, just wrapped up a couple of days ago. Uh, finally got 100% after tracking down the last few uh, Riddler trophies. Arkham Knight, another one that uh, upon finishing it the first time when you finish the main story, uh, you find out there is more to be had after you complete a certain number of side missions and then to get the uh, so-called true ending, uh, you have to 100% it. Uh, so I played through that, and also not much else. I dedicated a lot of time to our uh, game today. I guess I, I was just really relieved to finally be reviewing a good Genesis game. Uh, other than that, I've been playing a little bit of Team Fortress 2, which uh, over the last couple of years is pretty much the only first-person shooter I can really uh, stomach playing for any length of time. Well, I've never been good at Team Fortress 2, so we should probably move on and talk about our game this week, Toe Jam and Earl for the Sega Genesis. game it is. I uh, played this one a lot growing up. Uh, I had one or two friends, and when they came over, uh, growing up with, with friends, you have games that uh, you kind of look back and like, that was our game, a game you, you rented every time a friend was over, or you know you went ahead and bought. Uh, a couple friends, close friends, almost every weekend I was playing Toe Jam and Earl, and I can't say enough. I knew I had a lot of nostalgia. I had to kind of look beyond going into this. And I think I did a pretty good job of that. Uh, it's, you know, I'll get more in depth into it. It met a lot of my expectations. Uh, in some ways, it also didn't. And, you know, like I said, we'll get more into that as we go along. But one thing definitely I wanted to mention early on, and I kind of looked at it this way uh, when I went into play in the mindset of reviewing is it's almost a game you have to look at in two different ways you have to judge it as a two-player cooperative game and then you have to kind of look at it as a single-player game because one of those it's much more enjoyable than the other oh it's it's clearly made for two players i mean the first thing you see after you you pit you know start the game and and get to the the start screen is it starts at two players. It doesn't say one player then two player. It's two player, where one player plays Toe Jam, who's a little red alien, and one person plays Earl, who's like a big fat alien. But they essentially play the same. Um, or you can play single player, where you pick which character you want to be. But it's it's clearly designed to be a two player com- uh, cooperative game. And I never really got into this game as a kid. I never played it. I always saw it at the video store, but every time I looked on the back of the box, it, it just looked weird. And as, as someone that only got to rent one game a week, I didn't really want to put my chances on something that looked strange uh, like this game. And not saying I wouldn't have enjoyed it when I was a kid, but I, wanted, I usually stuck more closer to like the stuff that I knew was going to be something that I knew, like a platformer or a racing game. But this game just, it looked really really strange to me and i never gave it a chance so 
I was pretty excited to to finally see what the what the fuss is all about. Well, I, I think I have a pretty good combination of the backgrounds to both of you. I did play this a lot as a kid uh, with my brother, uh, both of them. But but it was the, you know when we did, went to rent a game, it had to be multiplayer because otherwise three people would just fight over a game over and over and over again. So finding a game that two of us could play was better than that, uh, especially if it was something that wasn't. Uh, you know, at that time, they still had games where one player would play, and then the next person would play, and then the first person would play. You know, this was a good two-player, at the same time, cooperative game. Uh, and so we did, you know, the first time we played it, we kind of just rented it because it was two players uh, and looked a little bizarre. But then after playing it for a while, you know, that first weekend, we were hooked. We had to find a copy of it. It became a staple uh, of our Genesis collection to the point where I don't, I can't remember what other Genesis games I had necessarily, because Toji Emin Earl was the one that I kept going back to over and over and over again. So... Uh, I also had to make sure I could could kind of ignore that nostalgia when I was doing the the, the playing for this time. And I think playing it single player really does a good job of that because this game is is probably about a tenth as fun by yourself. I could definitely attest to that. (laughs) I don't know what Mr. General Chaos's problem is uh, with this game. Uh, But yeah, uh, multiplayer, I don't think at that time you could find uh, a better title, especially. And like you said, back then, a two-player game, you kind of took turns. There weren't a lot of uh, cooperative. Uh, sp- this may have been the first split-screen game I, I ever encountered. Uh, but yeah, I can, I can see single-player, you lose a lot of the fun factor. Uh, there's a lot more frustration. It's generally a bit more difficult. I don't think they let up on you when you go into single-player. So uh, not as good of a game in single player, uh, still, I think, one of the better Genesis offerings, even in single player mode. To, to get started with the actual game itself over just saying if it's fun by yourself or fun with someone else is to to explain what the game generally is so it's a kind of an exploration game more than anything else the maps are are if you choose to play this way which again the default is randomly generated maps um, you go through a series of fairly small randomly generated maps uh, as you go I think you're supposed to be going upwards because you use an elevator to go from level to level. And you are trying to find pieces of your spaceship. You find all ten pieces of your spaceship and put it back together, and you'll get to fly back home to your planet because you're supposedly on Earth, although it looks nothing like any Earth, anywhere on Earth I've ever been. But uh, you wander through the levels, and there's a lot of, you know, kind of weird uh, creatures that are trying to stop you that are, I guess they're supposed to be funny, and they, they are kind of funny, but they're not... It's not ridiculously funny for the most part. There's, you know, like an old lady with a shopping cart, and then there's a, a bunch of nerds that run around as, as like a group of nerds that can run you over, and um, a cher- like a cherub that shoots an arrow at you. It's a lot of weird little cartoony guys that are trying to stop you, but it's definitely not like a bunch of army men. Yeah, and half the time I was just sitting there just asking, is, is this for real? Like, I, there's, 
at one point there was a group of ducks or pigeons or something throwing tomatoes at me and and uh some some weird guy that just kept you know tiptoeing around to try to get me it just this game is is weird i don't know how to really describe it other than just saying it's a weird game in just about every single way and i mean i think and that's something that probably completely you know splits the audience in half as to whether you like it or not uh, it's it's got a lot of quirks to it like you said you went over some of the uh enemy characters they range you know just they keep going up in you know how ridiculous they are except for that damn ice cream truck who is the biggest threat in the entire game and there's absolutely no warning except i think maybe just a little bit of a jingle before he comes out uh a lot of strange enemy characters, a lot of strange friendly characters also. You've got Santa Claus, you've got a hula girl, there's wizards walking around. And another thing in it, there are also presents kind of scattered around. And early on in the game, when you pick up a present, you have a whole present menu you can pull down. Uh, there's at least over 20, 20 types, I'd imagine. And, you know, there are question marks there. And you select them. You're kind of rolling the dice every time you do that. Uh, they're identified after you use them once. Some of them, I mean, it's everything from just uh, random power-up, you know, running shoes to speed you up, rocket skates to make you go even quicker, uh, springs that are good for nothing but throwing you off the level. Uh, and there's everything from something that refills your health to, to a present that actually just kills you right there on the spot. There's a lot of crazy things happening and I think early on, within the first level or two, you kind of get an idea as to whether or not you're going to get into this game or you're not. Well, I like the presence aspect of the game. I like that you go around, you pick up random objects. You don't know exactly what they do, except for um, you start at the beginning with four like speed shoes that let you run faster. Those are labeled. And if you pick up more of those presents, all presents that look the same, if they have green wrapping and a yellow bow and they're a long rectangle, they, they all are the exact same item. Um, so after you, you know, if you get two of the same present, it's like, oh, I'll just use one to see what it is. Cause after you use a present once it vanishes from your inventory. Um, so, so a lot of the early part of each level is, is getting as many presents as you can of different types and using them so you can map out every single item. Cause a lot of them are extremely useful. Yeah. The, the, um, the jump shoes that you talked about earlier are terrible. Um, but the Icarus wings that let you fly, although they don't last very long, will help you get through a lot of the later levels very quickly. Uh, there's a present that just levels you up. Uh, leveling up in this game is not impressive, really. Uh, the more you explore, the more things you, you pop, because uh, you can pop some of the enemies if you get tomato guns and... Um, not tomato guns, tomato slingshots, or just throwing tomatoes at enemies will somehow make them pop, uh, because earthlings are filled with air, I guess. I don't really know. But uh, you'll level up, and that gives you more health. Uh, you can also get extra lives. So... You know, a lot of the presents, it's well worth knowing what they do. But the downside is, like you said, there's a present that immediately kills you. Uh, one of the presents just is called food, and it could either be good food that heals you or bad food that does damage to you. So if you're in a lot of trouble, you might think, I'll use some food real quick to get better. Uh, and instead, you instantly die when you eat moldy cheese or something. So it's worth it to map out what each of the objects does. Uh, and I enjoy that part of it. I mean, it's kind of frustrating at the same time if you don't have them mapped out. And there's one item... Uh, that might actually be worse than the one that kills you, which is the one that re-randomizes what all the packages are. That is that when you get that item, uh, that's what I call the game. I'd turn it off. I don't even bother trying to relearn what the packages are. If you're far enough along, you've just guaranteed you're not going to win. 
So go ahead and turn it off and start again, because you can probably get back to where you were in a couple hours. But, uh, but yeah, that's the most frustrating thing in any game ever, is the random uh, re-randomizer for the packages. Just awful. And that's what really just immediately put me off to this game. Any game that gives me a power-up or even a, a, you know, a present, like in this game, and it fucking kills you when you use it or, or it hurts you. I understand, you know, it's supposed to be about trying this stuff out and, and knowing what it is, but the fact that it's it's there, it doesn't have to be there. The developer put that in there for you to use it and to die, and I don't. That's not good to me. I, I just I don't understand how that's that's you know charming or, or whatever. But uh, as soon as I as soon as that happened, I was just like, oh, this is this is what kind of game this is now. Yeah, and well, there. Ways to to kind of counter that to a small extent. When I played, I was always uh, I don't know if I was less adventurous. I was always a little leery about just opening up the the random gifts. Uh, there are characters you collect. You can collect uh, cash as you go along. Uh, some presents have it. Sometimes you find it laying about. Um, and there's a character. He appears. It seems like every few levels. Uh, for whatever reason, in a, a carrot suit. And he will identify things for you for one or two dollars. I can't remember which. Two bucks. <laughs> two bucks. All right. Very good. And I always tried to hoard my money until I found him to, to get him to uncover it. I don't, I don't know if I was really missing out uh, by not just taking a blind stab at it. But uh, that was the way I played. And so I could avoid a lot of the... Uh, more negative uh, of course with the food it's always uh, you're always going to take a chance i guess, I guess kind of like real life uh but you could get rid of the the one that instantly kills you which is a, a total bummer i think it's called i think it's bogus <laughs> or total bummer you're right total oh, bummer is right either one is a sign of the times and this game is certainly a sign of the times every little bit of it That's something we didn't really touch on. I, I was kind of going to start with that, and then I, I forgot about it. But the game came out in 1991, and the entire the entire visual look and the entire soundtrack of the game is very much early 90s, late 80s, like in living color style, you know, funk music, R&B music sort of based. And, and a lot of the characters, the, the weird characters and the, um, the bad guys, all kind of remind me of, of graffiti in many ways. So it, it's got that, that sort of urban feel to it. But you can clearly tell it's by people who don't don't uh, live that that lifestyle. They aren't really into that scene. They aren't, you know, it's just kind of a, yeah, this looks really cool. Like, kind of um, if you played Brutal Legend on the, the 360, it's got this heavy metal feel to it. But you can, you can tell it's just like, oh, we like how these things look and we kind of like some of this music. But it's not like it's a game made by guys who play metal for guys who play metal. It's just taking that that style and, and kind of twisting it to make it, 
you know that that's the interesting mark for this game, and this clearly fits into that. That I mean, in Living Color is what I thought of when I played this the whole time. I was like, man, this if I was watching In Living Color on TV now and playing this game, I would be right back in middle school. Yeah, and that's one of the best things about the game for me is just how early '90s it looks. Uh, it it looks like it came straight out of like um, you know Nickelodeon or something like that. It's just the sound and everything is is really great, and uh, I I just. It's neat. It's definitely going back in time and seeing a product of the early 90s and what everyone thought was cool in the early 90s, even though it's kind of embarrassing. But still, it's 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 fun to, to look at. Uh, speaking of embarrassing, and yeah, looking back on this, uh, the early 90s uh, are all over this thing. And one other part, you spoke of embarrassing facts. Uh, before you start the main game, there is also an, an option to enter a, a, a mode where, you know, Toe Jam and Earl are there in each direction and every button will, will either make a, a sound or like, um, you know, an instrumental type noise. And I guess it's a, you know, rudimentary way to kind of put a song together. And my, my cousin and I that I would play this with would oftentimes uh, do a little freestyle rapping right before we jumped in it reminds me a lot of uh if you played parappa the rapper you know where you get to do the freestyle part where after you've rapped enough with making the you know making the song go to where it's supposed to go then it's like you can freestyle and your characters start saying random garbage that's how this whole thing plays when you're doing the freestyle here it's like there's a beat behind you and then your guys like earl earl big earl earl toe jam (laughs) and i was like what am i doing and i was sitting here playing this downstairs i was like oh nobody comes down and catches me (laughs) this is the most embarrassing thing i've ever done on this computer are you sure about that well, at least uh, that I'm going to talk about on this show. All right. I don't know if I think I'd say this game has aged as well as I wanted it to. I think if I would have sat down here and played with another person, I would have thought it was still just as fun as I did then. Because um, I also remember then thinking, this game goes on forever. But I think it's because it, it was the kind of game I you didn't really want to end. If you're playing with a friend and you actually are taking the time through it, it's just like, oh, this is what we're going to do all night. So if you can play a game for four hours and, and not really get to the end that's that's okay sometimes depending on the kind of game it is this is that kind of game but by yourself man it gets monotonous fast the first few levels are kind of small and they quickly grow to proportions that you know if you walk all the way to the corner of the map and you don't find the exit or the piece you're looking for and you have to go through the other three quarters of the map you're you're really bordering on just deciding to play something else completely that was the big thing with me um i, I didn't mind it so much in the first seven or eight stages. But I think around level 10 or so is when the map fills the entire, or just about the entire map grid screen that you can go to. And walking around that thing by yourself and, and just trying to find the, the exit or whatever is so, so tedious. And I got so tired of it. It, it could take anywhere from like 10 to 20 minutes if you don't go the right way or you find yourself backtracking all over the place and I just got I, I just got tired of it, and it, it took me ev- everything I could muster to get past. I think I got around level eighteen or nineteen 
before I just said, fuck it, I can't do this anymore. It just gets so, so tedious. And I think, I think that's uh, probably a common complaint uh, amongst anybody that, that tries this thing alone. Uh, I played uh, with a friend uh, my first playthrough, and it was, it, like Jeremy P. was saying, it, it was enjoyable to sit down and, and play with a friend, and there was no trouble you know, putting the time into you know, putting two or three hours into finishing up the game. Uh, and I remember back as a child playing this, as soon as it was over, you wanted to get back in and you wanted to start again, which was one of the good things about the, the randomization was you could kind of just get right back into it again and get a fairly new experience. But when I started playing one player and the map, you do have a map that you can look up, but this map is not revealed. Uh, it's revealed like one square at a time, but it's not revealed until you step onto that square. So there's a lot of just blind exploration. And yeah, it's it's much easier in two players to kind of, you know, divide and conquer. I'll take the, the bottom half of the map. Uh, you know, you go take the top. And there's even presents that will, in two-player, bring the two of you back together. So it's nothing to divide up. One of you finds the elevator. One of you finds a a, a you know, the ship piece that you're looking for, you throw the present on and you're back together and you move along. In single player, you don't have that luxury. Uh, you pick one direction, you keep walking until it runs out, and you just hope you pick the right one. Uh, yeah, it gets fairly tedious. And two players, I had no trouble finishing this in a couple of hours. Single player, I got maybe half the pieces. I got around the same part. I got in the mid to late teens level-wise, and, you know, I'd had enough. You know, I, I just finished it up there. Uh, really, it was becoming more of a chore than anything else. Well, yeah, that's that's what I really thought when I was playing this by myself, is it it is a chore. And the, the kind of in a in a reverse, I guess, probably not the, the, the message they meant to send out, was when you get to a level and there's a there's a piece on the level. It says, hey, here's a tip. There's a piece on this level. But that means at every other level, they're saying, there's no reason for you to be here. So find the exit as fast as you can. And and that's the the levels where, you know, I'd go all the way to the upper left corner and there's nothing there. And then I'd have to go all the way to the upper right corner and there's nothing there. And th- there's not many items that make you go faster. Uh, and the warp item that's like a door kind of just takes you to a random area. So a lot of the time, it just felt like I was walking for five minutes to get somewhere trying to avoid guys that are trying to kill you. Uh, it just, it got less and less fun because it wasn't that I felt that I was in danger most of the time. I was in danger of just falling asleep. So you have to run as fast as you can to not fall asleep. And one of the, uh, I think it, it was smart to, to go the random stages route. But one thing that, uh, one bad effect that that has is it's obvious that this game doesn't have very many uh, different tile sets for the levels. So they all kind of look the same after a certain point, and it it's uh, there's really nothing new that you that you see beyond like maybe level seven or eight or something like that. So it's just kind of the same level over and over, just in different uh, setups. And I I just got tired of looking at the same thing over and over again. And one of the level design choices that I still don't like, and at the time is you know when I was playing it when I was younger, I thought it was kind of a neat. Uh, feature but now it just annoys me is there's a lot of levels where 
to connect big islands, there's little pathways that connect these big islands, and sometimes they don't show up until you walk in exactly the right spot, and then they pop into existence. And that's extremely annoying <laughs> now, especially yeah. when you're like trying to find the elevator to go to the next level because there's no reason for you to be there. You don't want to waste time looking at presents. You just want to get to the next floor. You only need one or two pieces left for your ship, and you've already been playing this for three hours because it's random. All levels have the puzzle pieces or the ship pieces. So, I mean, single player, this is, this is more of a test of how much you really want to see the ending to the game. Uh, but two players, you know, at it, it, no point is extremely hard. So it's kind of just a nice laid back, oh, yeah, we have some pizza, we got some beer. Although as a kid, I guess you shouldn't have any beer. But even now, if I had some people over, we each had some beer and just play, you know, ate pizza and drank beer and played this, it would be fun to play through this for two hours because it's just goofy enough that it's interesting. But single I could player, see that. I could, I could enjoy this as, as a two-player game, I think. It's just I, I couldn't get anyone to, to actually sit down and, and play it with me uh, the time that we had. But I could see being able to... You know, have a friend sitting there and, and being like, all right, you take this side of the map. I'm going to go over here. You know, if you, if you need anything, let me know. It, it, it could be fun like that. You know, co-op was that was one reason why co-op was so fun back then. And I, I wish I could have played this as, as a two player game because it sounds really interesting. But, yeah, definitely as a, as a one player game, I, I could could have done without it. <laughs> Some sequels to this game. We talked last week about how there's a Kickstarter for a new sequel that, that just finished. Kickstarter just finished in March of this year. So there's this game won't show up for a long time. Uh, but there were two other sequels. Um, the second game was still on the Genesis, and it was called Panic on Funkotron. Uh, it was a totally different style of game. It was a side-scroller. Uh, instead of being the top-down view like this game has the whole time, it's, it was a side-scroller. It still was very similar in that there were presents and hidden things you had to do, but it was... It was a very, very different game from this, uh, but I still wouldn't say it's a, you know an action game or a, or a run-and-gun you know, shooter or anything. It's still kind of an exploration game, but on a flat plane, and I did not try that two players at all. I've only played it once, and I only played it for the purpose of this podcast, um, but it's definitely weird. I, didn't, I don't think I disliked it, but I, I don't think it's nearly as interesting as this was. You know, I played, I played it at the time, and I, did, I played it again uh, shortly after I played the, the the first one recently, I didn't care much for it then, and I, I still don't now. I will say it's one of the more unique and one actually one of the better looking and sounding uh, Genesis games uh, over that console's history. But I just I didn't really care for it. They went for a lot of the same, like you said, a lot of the same exploration. Uh, the collecting instead of the pieces this time. Uh, the whole story is that, yes, you've landed back on your home planet, but a bunch of humans have hitched a ride. Uh, and you're going through, and instead of collecting pieces to your ship, you are tracking down and collecting the humans to send them back. Uh, and I, 
I just don't think that the the whole exploration works uh, in a side scroller. I don't. I just didn't care for it uh, altogether. And reading up a little bit on it, the developers, the the sequel to Toe Jam and Earl was going to be more in in line with the first one, uh, kind of you know that that top down type of randomized exploration. Uh, but it was pressure from Sega to kind of do something different and take it in this direction. So I I don't think the developers' hearts were really in it, and I think that shows. I think it lacks uh, a lot, as, as good as it looks, as good as it sounds, I think it lacks a lot of the kind of character of, of the first one. I, this is probably going to make Billy get up and leave, but I think <sighs> Panic on Funkotron is a better game than Toe Jam and Earl 1. Oh, boy. <laughs> I think single player, I may not disagree necessarily, because the only one I played it once, I didn't get bored uh, with the second one. I thought it was at least a different kind of game, and, and it felt more like something that you'd want to play by yourself. Uh, although I could still see how it would be fun with two players, where this single player really felt you know, like a trudge after the first five levels. And there was less just complete randomness in the game. Uh, it was more of a, a very straightforward, here's what you need to do, uh, you know, it's very clear on things. And, and I thought the, the visuals went a long way in making that game more interesting for a longer period of time for me because uh, just with how quick I got bored of, of, you know, the first game, the second game looks amazing. It's, it's a really great-looking Genesis game, regardless of what you think of the game uh, itself. But I just I, I really had more fun running around and playing that game because it seemed more like an actual video game instead of this weird exploration kind of random shit happening all the time. It, it was, it was just more of a video game to me. And, and I can't fault you. I can fault you a lot for the last show. I can't fault you too much uh, for enjoying this one more. I think this was probably, it's probably a good move on Sega's part to kind of push them in this direction. I think this game has a more broad appeal to it. And I think overall this one is, is pretty well received. Uh, I just, I really enjoyed something about the, the kind of randomized exploration uh, from the first one. I just, I just really enjoyed. And I was hoping for most of the time with sequels, I want something different. I guess this was one time I was wanting uh, more of the same. And, you know, I didn't get that. And I don't know, I just didn't really enjoy it. it it's tough. It's lonely being a, a Toe Jam and Earl purist. It's very lonely. I do agree that the second one, it, it, it was different, but it was too different. Like, I always want something a little more in a sequel for the most part. I don't want to see the exact same game. Um, but I also wanted to still kind of resemble the original game. And the second one really didn't. Uh, other than the, you know, the, in the feel of the game and the, the graphic style of the game, it, it definitely had connections, but it played totally different. So, you know, they and made see, it. I, I didn't have that nostalgia for the first game at all. So I, maybe back then, if I, if I had played Toe Jam and Earl first and, you know, I was really hooked on it and, and got to like it, I could understand where playing that sequel would, would be like, what, what is going on here? This isn't Toe Jam and Earl at all. But coming from somebody that, that has no prior investment in that game series at all, I thought the, the sequel had more character and, and more charm than, than the first one. Well, it's a risk they have to take. Either you make the same game again, and people complain that it's the exact same game, like the Marios. Uh, they, they changed a little bit, but in general, it's you know for the, for the Nintendo era at least, it was more or less the same game. 
uh, or you go completely different for each game and see what happens. And that's the route they went with this this first sequel. Uh, the second sequel, on the other hand, was on the Xbox, and I did have this game, uh, the Toji Mineral Three. I don't. I hear think it's really bad. <laughs> that's it, all I've really heard about it ever. Th- this is a. It's a hard thing to say that it's bad. I think the game itself is not bad. It's got the same problem this does. That by yourself, it feels like it's a chore. Uh, it's a 3D universe, but it still kind of feels like the first game as far as the maps uh, are sort of randomly generated feeling. And I don't know if they necessarily were or not, but at least when they designed the maps, they had to have randomly generated the maps because they don't make any sense otherwise. You know, it's just platforms in the middle of nowhere. I mean, they try to say they're, you know, street corners and things, but they, they end up just being floating pieces in the middle of nowhere that you walk from place to place. You do have the same kind of assortment of creatures that this first game had. And you're still supposed to be walking around using using presents like you did in this game. The problem with the third game is that, unlike this game, they had the benefit of being able to add video and sound. And they did. And so if you're going to make a game that's supposed to be based on, you know, early 90s and late 80s funk and R&B, and you can now add in a whole lot of video and, and a whole lot of sound, instead you have like an all-women choir that's in there for no reason all the time, and there's there's scenes Holy where shit. Earl and Toe Jam talk, and it's it's borderline offensive, you know, and it's just... it, it That's the game where the whole theme for me kind of just became more embarrassing than it was worth to play the game. Uh, also, my problem with that game is they added boss characters, which th- we didn't bring this up earlier, but there, there's no bosses in this game. You find all the pieces to your ship, and then you fly home. So the, the last boss is, is you find your ship and you leave. There's no big boss fight. It wouldn't make any sense. Well, it didn't really make sense in the third game either, the way the game played. It made sense for the storyline that no one cares about, but they didn't need to be there. And so, therefore, imagine trying to fight a boss where you're using a bunch of randomly assorted items, and you'll see how amazingly frustrating that has to be if you had to have a certain item to jump up and hit the boss in the face. And that's kind of what you have to do in Toji Mineral 3. It's not good, and I would not be surprised at all if when the Kickstarter comes out, they pretend it never happened. Earl. Yo. Earl. Yeah. Thank you. Now try to keep the lights on upstairs, Earl. Yeah, I'm saying? No more falling asleep, all right? This is a very important movie, Earl. We got to document this, uh, what you call it? For the posterity of the universe and all that. Yeah, I'm saying? Yo, Earl. Earl. Wake up, Earl! But at least it did introduce some new characters. It wasn't just Toe Jam and Earl. It was Toe Jam and Earl, and, and I don't remember the third character's name, but it was a, a female alien with dreadlocks, and I never ever used them. I, I remember hearing about it, and I just, I, I think I remember seeing the reviews in magazines, and it was all just like twos and threes, and just, just getting completely murdered. But after what you said about it, I kind of want to play this game now because it sounds absolutely terrible with, with the FMV and uh, the, the music and the voice acting and stuff well, like that. It's I'm not a FMV, fan of that thankfully. If it was people dressed up like Toe Jam and Earl, that would be a keeper. I would never get rid of that game. No, this was little, little you know, fully digital clips, but of, of cartoons still. But, but still, I'll, I'll definitely play some uh, after this segment. Just, just a very short clip of what I'm talking about. But imagine if the entire game, every time you did anything sang a song like this. You've got to have a soul purpose. Convert the earthlings to the ways of fun and spread the word. 
and that's why I can't play that game. I can't recommend it. I think this one is way better. It has the same feel as I think what they were aiming for in 3, but I'd compare it to uh, the difference between the Blues Brothers and the Blues Brothers 2000. All right. I got you there. That, that's more or less the problem with the third one. And that it didn't need to exist. It, it, it was basically just a reimagining of the original game, a different story, but same kind of gameplay. I mean, Toe Jam and Earl fans keep saying that they want a new Toe Jam and Earl. And whenever they get one, it seems to just keep getting worse and worse. So I, I don't know if this may be like the Sonic thing where you guys just need to stop asking for one. Maybe tell that Kickstarter to, to go go away, make, make something different. But I, I just don't get why Toe Jam and Earl fans keep coming back and being like, yeah, that would be great. I want to play a new game in that. You probably don't. I just, and I'm one of them, I, I you know, have... Uh, hope for a new game, a new entry in the series. I just, uh, I think just at the time, you know, the early 90s, I think I was just at the right age. I was uh, interested in the, the culture it kind of tried to pass off as uh, at that time. I think there's just a, it's one of those titles uh, for myself and apparently for a lot of people, there's just really heavy, uh, not like the level for a Mario or Zelda, but just a really heavy nostalgia there. And it, it seems like from there's not a lot of footage. Uh, there's some screenshots. There's some rough demos. Uh, the Kickstarter has me slightly concerned. It looks like it's kind of going back very much so to its, its roots. You know, you've got the top down, uh, just exploring what looks like randomly thrown together chunks of land. Uh, but they're going for kind of a comic book hand-drawn Toe Jam and Earl, but they're placing them on what looks like kind of more photorealistic uh, backgrounds and and settings. Uh, so I'm going to keep an eye on it, but I'm slowly trying to lower my expectations for it, if it even gets released. I, the Kickstarter passed, but how many times have those gone through and the initial project hasn't? I think the one thing that would really get me 100% into it was if they just went completely 100% doing the whole bad early 90s style. Like, you know, of course the first game was was intentionally trying to be cool and, you know, extreme and, and all that kind of shit. But that's not going to fly now unless you just go all the way. And I, I would really like to see a game like that. I think that would be at least funny to me. Yeah, it's, it, it, it's not going to be able to take itself seriously at all. It's going to have to just be a, a parody of, you know, everything early 90s thrown in. Well, it's definitely unique. I'll give it that. And I think it's, to get back to the original game, I think it did age well enough that if you have two players around, it's definitely worth trying. And by yourself, the, the good news is if you play the first five levels, you've pretty much experienced the game. So go ahead and play those five levels, spend 20 minutes doing it. You'll enjoy those 20 minutes, and then just turn it off and find something else to do. Yeah, I think it's, it's fun. I, I don't, I mean, I, I've kind of talked shit about this, the whole thing. I, I, I say fun, but I mean, it's, it was very unique for the time. And if I would have rented this as a kid, I don't think I would have regretted it. I think I would have probably got bored with it if I kept playing it by myself. But it would have been unique enough that I could have understood why this has stayed uh, sort of a, a classic with with the people that really enjoyed it back then. So I, yeah, I mean it's it's still fun to play. I mean it's p- perfectly playable. There's nothing wrong with it in that department. But I, it's just uh, it's just, once you get past a certain stage, it's probably not very fun anymore. 
Yeah, and I, I recommend the same course of action. If you have two people, go ahead, give it a shot, uh, play it through to the end. You'll have you'll have a good time, you know, with a good friend. It'll only take you a couple of hours, uh, probably at best, two or three. Uh, single player, like Jeremy P said, play twenty minutes, thirty minutes. Uh, if you really, if it's eating away at you to see the ending, uh, you're better off just maybe just looking it up online. Uh, do not try single player wise to put yourself through the entire game. And if you have to, there is going to be a tad bit of boredom there, and there's going to be a little bit of frustration. I, I will say, if you're going to try it yourself, as one last note, that if you pick the fixed levels option, it apparently is much shorter because it is set. Uh, I guess they decided that randomly deciding what levels have these ship pieces would drive everyone insane. So I think it only goes up to level 29. Uh, and the ship pieces are kind of evenly spaced out, and, and the levels are designed in a specific way where there were apparently uh, guides that Sega put out that said, hey, in level four, the exit's in the top left corner. So they must have realized these same complaints and then built a game that would be much faster. If you're going to play by yourself, I think you can probably beat the single player fixed in, in a couple hours. So maybe that's, that's the route smart. to try. But uh, yeah. but I like the randomness of everything as well. So it, yeah. I couldn't make myself do it, but... Uh, if I picked this up today and never played it before, perhaps that would have been a much more preferred style. Yeah, and that's really smart on their part. Uh, I, I I got really frustrated, I think, around level 14 or so, where I would go three stages, and then I would get uh, a stage where it would tell you that you have a spa- your, your spaceship part, and then uh, literally the next stage, it would have a spaceship part again. And then I would go four or five stages and nothing. So I could understand why they would want to even that out a little bit because with how random it is, it's good and bad. And I think uh, there's it's 50-50 either way. It, it can be both random good and random bad all at the same time. That's actually probably a pretty good summary of this game. Random good and random bad. That's it. Yeah. like to say if you have been listening to this podcast on itunes you are more than capable of going in and writing a review and if you did it would be great for us because one we like to read things written about us but also the more reviews you get uh the easier it is for people that randomly just search things like retro gaming to find retrovaniacs and we did get yet another uh reader comment does anyone have that comment uh we do we uh from robert h h h h very unusual uh, last name, but he had uh, some kind words for us, and which we do appreciate, bringing us up to a grand total of three highly positive reviews. All right. And all three of us have moms, so I think we know who to thank. That's it, um, right. But if you're not our mom, you could definitely you know, go to iTunes, write a review. It's free. All you got to do is... is Tell if you like us, and if you don't like us, still give us five stars, but then tell us about how bad we are. But the five stars is the important part, so go ahead and do that. Um, you can also find us on Twitter at Retrovaniacs, and of course at Retrovania.net is our regular website uh, where you can send us emails and 
just generally look at videos of, of other games we're not going to do podcasts on, most likely. Uh, but we did get, this week, thankfully, a listener question. That's right. We actually got a real question. I didn't actually hold somebody uh, at gunpoint for this question. Let me reach in here in the mailbag. The question is, who are you? Why are you in my yeah. house? <laughs> okay, all right, here we go. Scott in Grand Rapids, Michigan asks, How do you all feel about emulated consoles like the Retron 5? I know many fans of old games refuse to even use them, saying that the original console is always the way to go. Personally, I've used a couple, and they seem fine, so I'm not sure why these consoles get so much hate. Do any of you, do any of you use these types of consoles, or, all, or are, ugh, if I could read, or are all of you too hipster to deal with them? I haven't used an actual Retron 5 or a replica of anything you know, from NES era on, not because I refuse to. In fact, uh, you know, I saw the uh, Retron 5. You, I think it has every original cartridge system on it. And if that actually worked as it was intended, I think that's wonderful. I don't have to have 75 systems in my basement, uh, much to the ire of my wife. But I still have them hooked up because I don't have a Retron 5. Um, but I'd be, I would not be opposed to trying one. What I do like that are very similar to that are the, uh, the flashback units. Uh, like they put out an Intellivision flashback this year that has replica of the original paddles. And you get some of the, the inlays that go on the paddles for the games. They each have 40 games, 50 games on them. I like those a lot because the original systems, while I still have my original Intellivision, it only has those old connectors with the TV cable switch, and you have to screw them into the back of the TV, and they really don't connect well to, to modern TVs. So the fact that I can just plug this into AV cables is wonderful. Uh, now it's lacking some things. I can't use every game. Uh, there's no cartridge slot, so I have to use the, the pre-programmed ones only. But if they made a, you know, flashback units, for example, for the, you know, the, the Nintendo that that came loaded with just say Mario Brothers, and then you could use your regular cartridges, I would I would grab one at least to see if it worked well or not. Because my actual Nintendo is still working, but it's very touchy. Yeah, and uh, I've uh, have some experience with the the Retron uh, Five. I think. Uh, there are a lot of people out there that are surprisingly hostile towards such things. I really don't see the trouble. I think there's a lot of uh, things that make it a you know completely viable option, whether or not you are starting to collect some of the older titles, but you don't have the consoles, or uh, my situation, if you have the consoles, but getting them all out uh, is frowned upon by your significant other. Uh, I think it's perfectly good just to have, you know, the one box, put your Nintendo games in it, Super Nintendo Genesis, and it seems to run uh, pretty well. It seems like every now and then, maybe on the Genesis side of things, the uh, sound is a little, uh, maybe a little funny, but, uh, you know, sound on the Genesis was usually terrible to begin with. And it seems like the Super Nintendo kind of has a little bit of slowdown here and there. I think it it does perfectly fine. And uh, another reason, uh, probably one of the better ones, I keep an older television. You know, it's one of the big tube televisions. Uh, even though it's just 32 inches, it takes at least two people to carry this thing around uh, just for hooking up older consoles, too, because uh, you're talking about the Intellivision having trouble you know, hooking up to modern day TV, even, you know, some of the early Nintendo systems have trouble hooking up there. And with the Retron, you know, you can connect your, you know, your flat screen television. Uh, you don't have to go the route of keeping one of the older 
you know, very cumbersome tube televisions uh, laying around. So I think completely bewildered as to why there's so much hostility towards it. Uh, but I think perfectly fine, perfectly fine for playing older games. I think everyone that I haven't had a Retron, but I had a, a Super Nintendo one uh, that I found somewhere and it was fine. I mean, it, it's never going to be perfect, but it's good enough. I mean, there were times where I had to really try hard to find anything wrong with the games or the emulation. And I, I just I, like Billy, I don't quite understand why the purists just cannot stand using these things because I'm probably as big of a purist as anybody, and I I don't mind using them at all. They're convenient. Uh, they usually hook up through HDMI, which is great. I don't have to pull out AV cables or, or weird RF units, um, but it, it, they're fine to use to me. I, I absolutely do not mind using them at all. Now, I, I don't have a Retron. Do they use the original controllers, or do they have their own specific controller? Uh, they uh, have their own, but they are... Generally, I think with every Retron, one of the major complaints has been the controller. I can say with the 5, the controller still um, isn't the best uh, kind of response-wise, but you are able to plug in the the original controller. So I I really don't think, uh, if you already have the consoles, I really don't think it's much of an issue. You can just plug in your regular controller that you're used to using for the games. And also, I think uh, a, a big plus to using those is cost. Uh, you can go out and buy a Retron that has all of those consoles built in for what is it like a hundred bucks or something now, and you can't really go anywhere and find uh, an NES or a Super NES below fifty dollars anymore. So, if you're wanting to get into collecting games, and you just don't have the money for all the systems, but you really want to start collecting games now. I think that's a really good way to go is to just get that so you can play those games and, and not have to, to worry about saving up all this money to, to buy these older systems that do cost a little bit more money now. So hopefully that answers your question. Uh, you know, we, yes, we're down with using those systems if we had them. Um, I don't know if I'd ever say I'd, if I had my NES hooked up and I had a, a Retron hooked up that I would say, oh, I'll use the Retron instead unless my NES was just acting badly, but I don't, I don't see a problem with it. So if you have a similar question or another question you'd like to ask us, please send it to us uh, via our website, Retrovania.net. I think we have a, an email there, uh, which might just be as simple as Retrovania.net, spelled out, at gmail.com. Uh, but please send us some questions. We have many more episodes to coming up, uh, including the next episode, which our random game selector has picked. Blackthorn for the Super Nintendo, another one I have not played previously. I think you'll like this one. Uh, if you liked Flashback or, or Another World or Out of This World as it's known on, on the Super Nintendo, uh, this one is, is very much in, in the same vein as, as Flashback. So if you like that, I, I think you'll, you'll like it a lot. Yeah, I, haven't, I, I have no idea why I passed this one up. I remember seeing this in the video store. I never picked it up. I still haven't played it uh, to this day. I'm, I, I'm looking forward to this one. Well, hopefully, uh, in two weeks, you'll see this come up again. Uh, But if not, thank you for listening.